Chapter Two of Dear Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Dear Brook by Harriet Martineau. Chapter Two. Moonlight to Townsfolk. The moment the door closed behind Sophia, as she left the sisters in their apartment, Hester crossed the room with her step very like a dance and threw up the window. I had rather look out than sleep, said she. I shall be ashamed to close my eyes on such a prospect. Morris, if you are waiting for us, you may go. I shall sit up a long while yet. Morris thought she had not seen Hester in such spirits since her father's death. She was unwilling to check them, but said something about the fatigues of the journey and being fresh for the next day. No fear for tomorrow, Morris. We are in the country, you know, and I cannot fancy being tired in the fields and in such a park as that. Good night, Morris. When she was gone, Hester called Margaret to her, put her arm around her waist, and kissed her again and again. You seem happy to-night, Hester, said Margaret's gentle voice. Yes, sighed Hester, more like being happy than for a long time past. How little we know what we shall feel. Here I have been dreading and dreading this evening, and shrinking from the idea of meeting the Greys, and wanting to write at the last moment to say that we would not come, and it turns out, oh, so differently think of day after day week after week of pure country life when they were planning for us to-night and talking about the brook and the lanes and the meadows it made my very heart dance thank god said margaret when your heart dances there is nothing left to wish but did not yours had you ever such a prospect before such a prospect of delicious pleasure for weeks together except perhaps when we caught our first sight of the sea nothing can ever equal that replied margaret do you not hear now the shout we gave when we saw the sparkles on the horizon heaving sparkles when we were a mile off and mamma held me up that i might see it better and baby dear baby clapped his little hands does it not seem like yesterday like yesterday and yet if baby had lived he would now have been our companion taking the place of all other friends to us i thought of him when i saw sydney gray but he would have been very unlike sydney gray he would have been five years older but still different from what Sidney Gray will be at eighteen, graver, more manly. How strange is the idea of having a brother, said Margaret. I never see girls with their brothers, but I watch them, and long to feel what it is just for one hour. I wonder what difference it would have made between you and me if we had had a brother. You and he would have been close friends, always together, and I should have been left alone, said Hester with a sigh. Oh, yes, she continued, interrupting Margaret's protest it would have been so there can never be the same friendship between three as between two and why should you have been the one left out asked margaret but this is all nonsense all a dream she added the reality is the baby died still a baby and we know no more of what he would have been than of what he is the real truth is that you and i are alone to be each other's only friend it makes me tremble to think of it margaret it is not so long since our home seemed full how we used all to sit round the fire and laugh and play with papa as if we were not to separate till we had all grown old and now young as we are here we are alone how do we know that we shall be left to each other there is only one thing we can do hester said margaret resting her head on her sister's shoulder we must make the most of being together while we can there must not be a shadow of a cloud between us for a moment our confidence must be as full and free our whole minds as absolutely open as as I have read and heard about two minds can ever be. Those who say so do not know what may be, exclaimed Hester. 
I am sure there is not a thought, a feeling in me, that I could not tell you, though I know I never could to anyone else. If I were to lose you, Hester, there are many, many things that would shut up in me forever. There will never be anyone on earth to whom I could say the things that I can tell to you. Do you believe this, Hester? I do. I know it. Then you will never again doubt me, as you certainly have done sometimes. You cannot imagine how my heart sinks when I see you are fancying that I care for somebody else more than for you, when you think that I am feeling differently from you. Oh, Hester, I know every change of your thoughts by your face, and indeed your thoughts have been mistaken sometimes. They have been wicked often, said Hester in a low voice. I have sometimes thought that they must be hopelessly bad, when I have found that the strongest affection I have in the world has made me unjust and cruel to the pet son I love best. I have a jealous temper, Margaret, and a jealous temper is a wicked temper. Now you are unkind to yourself, Hester. I do believe you will never doubt me again. I never will, and if I find a thought of the kind rising in me, I will tell you the moment I am aware of it. Do, and I will tell you the moment I see a trace of such a thought in your face. So we shall be safe. We can never misunderstand each other for more than a moment. By the gentle leaf of heaven all human beings have visions, not the lowest and dullest, but has the coarseness of his life revealed at moments by some scenery of hope, rising through the brooding fox of his intellect and his heart. Such visitations of mercy are the privilege of the innocent, and the support of the infirm. Here were the lonely sisters sustained in bereavement and self-rebuke by the vision of a friendship which should be unearthed in its depths and freedom. They were so happy for an hour that nothing could disturb them. I do not see, observed Hester, that it will be possible to enjoy any intimate intercourse with this family, unless they are of a different order from what they seem. We cannot have much in common, but I am sure they mean to be kind, and they will let us be happy in our own way. Oh, what mornings you and I will have together in those woods! Did you ever see anything so soft as they look, in this light? And the bend of the river glittering there. Here, a little more this way, and you will see it as I do. The moon is not the full yet. The river will be like this for some nights to come. And these rides and drives, I hope nothing will prevent our going through the whole list of them. What is the matter, Margaret? Why are you so cool about them? I think all the pleasure depends upon the companionship, and I have some doubts about that. I had rather sit at work in a drawing-room all day than go among mountains with people. Like the Mansons? Oh, that spreading of shawls, and the bustle of the sandwiches, before they could give a look at the waterfall. I am afraid we may find something of the same drawback here. I am afraid so. Well, only let us get out into the woods and lanes, and we will manage to enjoy ourselves there. We can contrive that a grass here and there together without being missed. But I think we are judging rather hastily from what we saw this evening, even about this family, and we have no right to suppose that all their acquaintance are like them. No, indeed, and I am sure Mr. Hope for one is a different order. He dropped one thing, one little saying, which proved this to my mind. I know what you mean, about the old man that is to be our guide, over that heath they were talking of, about why that heath is a different and more beautiful place to him than to us, or to his former self. Is it not true what he said? I am sure it is true. I have little to say of my own experience or wisdom or goodness, whichever it was that he particularly meant as giving a new power of sight to the old man, but I know that no tree waves to my eye as it did ten years ago, and the music of running water is richer to my ear as every summer comes round. Yes, I almost wonder sometimes whether all things are not made at the moment by the mind that sees them, 
so wonderfully do they change with one's mood and according to the store of thoughts they lay open in one's mind if i lived in a desert island supposing one's intellect could go on to grow there i should feel sure of this but not here where it is quite clear that the village thought if there be one and mr hope and the children and we ourselves all see the same objects in sunlight and moonlight and acknowledge them to be the same though we cannot measure feelings upon them i wish mr hope may say something more which may lead the old man on the heath again he is coming to-morrow morning yes we shall see him again to-morrow End of chapter two recording by ellie february two thousand and ten